We're going to be in Psalm chapter 8, like I said, page 450. As, as we've looked at the series, what we've kind of tried to focus on again and again is the idea of bringing our uh, immediate circumstances into collision with who God is. That God is big, that God is great, that He's gracious, that He actually loves us. And so sometimes when you're going through something horrible, you want to, you want to question, God, are you good? Do you care? Do you see what's going on? And the Psalms gives us a, a map for how to pray through those times of our life, for how to worship through those times of life. And so we're learning as we look at these different Psalms. Psalm 8 is, is a great one. It's one that's quoted a lot in the New Testament. And in Psalm 8, we will uh, learn who we are. We'll learn our purpose in life. We'll understand what we're about. And the irony is that we will learn who we are by looking at who God is. Uh, a lot of times in our culture, we're taught to look look inward, right? It's sometimes called uh, navel-gazing, right? We're taught, taught to look into ourself. But the Scripture says when we look out away from ourselves, that's when we actually figure out who we are. That's when we figure out what we're made for. And so we'll see this really beautifully in Psalm chapter 8, collide with majesty, the majesty of God. Only when we see how great He is will we have any idea who we are and what we're supposed to be. It says in Psalm 8, to the choir master, according to the getith, a psalm of David. And no, I do not know what getith means. That's None of the scholars do. That's why they just directly give you the Hebrew word, because we don't really know what it means. But it's some sort of musical term. Verse 1 says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas." O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What Bible scholars like to call an inclusio means it starts the same way that it finishes, right? So we call that inclusio, meaning it's, in, it's including everything, right? It's tying it all together like a bookend. Our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's the main idea, God's majesty. God is majestic. And yet at the middle of the psalm, we see him talking about humanity, we figure out who we are as humanity by seeing how majestic God is. So let me pray for us and we'll look at this in more detail. God, we pray that you would teach us. We ask for your help. We know that we don't have a wisdom of our own, but that if we ask you, you will give generously. And so we're asking you to teach us from your word and to shape us to reflect your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite uh, Brady Bunch episodes was when Marsha Brady got the opportunity to meet Davy Jones of the Monkees. The Monkees was a famous band, right? Boy band back then. Anybody remember that episode? Marsha got to meet Davy Jones. He kissed her on the cheek. And she said, I'll never wash my cheek again. Do you remember that? She believed that she had absorbed some of his majesty and wonder through that kiss, and she didn't want to wash it away. She wanted to keep it 
with her. People are kind of weird about meeting famous people. Have any of you ever met someone famous or someone that you really admired? Has that ever happened? Some of you? And you're maybe nervous. Maybe your heart beats faster. There's something about coming in contact with greatness. And as human beings, this incredible greatness of God, we get to have a relationship with Him. It's 10 million times bigger than meeting any famous person. It's more amazing than any brush with uh, someone famous or important or great could ever mean in our life. So some of us get real excited to meet someone that's great at a human level, right? And maybe we forget how great God really is. Others of us react to that, right? Some of you in your seat right now, you're thinking, that's silly, I wouldn't be like that, right? I'm too cool, I'm too cynical to uh, be impressed by someone famous. How many, raise your hand if you were thinking that, right? Okay, a few of you are willing to admit it. I'm that way, right? I've had opportunities to meet famous uh, recording artists, and at times in my life, I've just thought, eh, I'm not interested. Because there's part of me that wants to push back against that human desire to meet someone famous, to say, I'm okay, I don't need that, right? Well, we do need that. We just don't need it from another person. We just don't need it from a famous person. We need it from God. God has made us to be in relationship with Him. God is the highest and greatest of all beings. That's one of the first statements of the old Baptist catechisms. Who is God? He's the chief and best of beings. He's awesome. He's ultimate. And we need to keep that in mind and that we're made to have relationship with Him and reflect His greatness to the world. And what Psalm 8 is showing us is when we see how great He is, then we have some majesty. Then we have some of His greatness that we can reflect. We have more purpose. We have uh, more honor when we're in relationship with God, properly reflecting who He is in the world. There's a great song right now that kind of reflects that cynical stance of I'm not not impressed with uh, flashiness and fame and money. Any of you ever heard the, the song Royals? Have you all heard, heard that song? It's a new pop song that's out. I'll read you a, a line from the song. It says, And we'll never be royals that don't run in our blood. That kind of lux just ain't for us. We crave a different kind of buzz. Let me be your ruler. You can call me Queen Bee. And baby, I'll rule, I'll rule. Let me live that fantasy. Throughout the song, she talks about how We don't have all the diamonds and the gold and all this flashy stuff that everybody else is singing about in their songs, but but we have something that matters. We've figured out how to be happy. We we enjoy the mundane things of life. The video is really beautiful, artistic. It's just scene after scene of beautifully framing boring middle class to lower middle class life. It's just frame after frame of just the boring life and saying there's something to that mundane life. But that's okay. I don't have to be like the rapper that's bragging about all this or like the pop star that's uh, bragging about this. I, I can enjoy the mundane things in life. And, and the psalmist is saying a similar thing. Maybe not so cynically, but the psalmist is saying we have this earthy life we can enjoy because of the majesty of God. Because God's majesty is reflected in the heavens and, and on the earth and in our boring, normal, basic lives. The, the first thing that we see as we go through the text, is that there's a majesty in weakness. God has hardwired, even through weakness, a majesty, uh, the expression of his greatness in in weakness. Look at uh, verse uh, 2. 8-2 says, Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Anybody know where that's quoted in the New Testament? Anybody 
Remember that? Uh, when Jesus comes in and is cleansing the temple. And then He's healing some people. And then children are saying, Hosanna to you. It's, it comes out this way in Matthew 21. I'm going to read Matthew 21, uh, 15 and 16. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David. Basically, save us, David's son. The great King David descendant we're looking for, save us. That's what they're saying to him. They were indignant, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Verse 16, they said to him, Do you hear what these kids are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you've prepared praise? So Jesus is quoting the Greek translation of the Psalms. We call it the Septuagint. So a lot of times there's a slight variation in wording. So in our text we have, uh, you've established strength through the mouths of babies and infants. And Jesus says you've prepared praise. And so is that a contradiction? Um, it's, it's the same thing. When we praise God, what are we saying about God? We're saying, God, you're strong. You are our strength. And so it's really saying the same thing. It's a, it's a translation difference, not a meaning difference. And so when we ascribe greatness to God, we're praising God. And so these children are praising Jesus. And the way it's reflected in our text uh, in Psalm 8 is out of the mouths of babies, of the weak, of the kids that can't do anything, right? Out of those mouths, it says you've established strength. You've established strength. God is doing something. This majestic God, right? The beginning verse, the end verse says, God is majestic. He's incredible. He deserves all praise. And He's working through babies. He's working through the small things of the world. Isn't Isn't that crazy? It's one of the great, beautiful ironies of how God works. I have a picture here of a baby, right? Anybody ever seen a baby before? Raise your hand if you've seen a baby. Okay, excellent. All right, so you're tracking with me. This isn't totally freaking you out. This is like, okay, I've seen that. Um, God, God works through the small things, the weak things. He says, he says, this is my army. Right? Those of you that are soldiers, think about this. Think about what, what it takes to get your soldiers ready, to train them. If, if you're a soldier yourself, what you've invested in. Uh, to, to know how to operate, how to use your weapon, all, all the things that you learn. Think about all the effort that you put in that. And God says, oh, I'll use babies. I'll use babies. I'll establish my strength. It says specifically to still the enemy and the avenger because there are foes. Because there's evil in the world, to still the avenger, to still the foes, I'll, I'll work through babies. I'll work through weakness. Isn't that, I mean, that's kind of nuts. It's crazy. But that's how God has chosen to work. And so when we see how big and how awesome God is, what the psalmist does is he says, this God is so big and so awesome, it makes me want to praise Him even more. He, he works through the weak, like me. So, so the psalmist isn't just talking about babies over there. The psalmist is making a connection here that we're like babies when we stand before God. We're like little children. We can't do anything. We are not as majestic as God, but we have this derived majesty. We have honor that He gives us because He uses us. We get to be involved in Daddy's business. He is pushing back evil in the world. As we learn to trust Him and ascribe to Him strength and honor and greatness, that's His plan. And so it can be seen in just the very simple reality of 
actual real babies, right? Like actual real babies, when we see babies, that, that just makes us amazed, right? So just at the very literal concrete level, that makes us amazed at who God is, and that helps us to ascribe praise to God. But at the, at the larger level, at the level of how does God work in the world, God is the kind of God that works in the world through weakness. So, so that, going back to the way I'm describing this point, there's majesty of God seen in weakness in the world. And we see that, of course, reflected most clearly in the, in the gospel. That this champion that everybody was waiting for, he, he died for us. He didn't bring out the sword and start lopping off all the heads, although Revelation tells us it's going to look more like that in the future. But that, that he, he came and he gave himself for us. He, he gave his life for us. He died for us. He works through weakness. And we're included in that too. That means he can work through us. Right? So if you're here this morning and you think you're awesome and you think you're powerful and you want to compete for God's throne, the bad news is that's not going to work. It's not going to work. The good news is if you recognize your own weakness, if you feel like, I'm just a baby. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm weak. I can't do everything God's called me to do. I can't love like I should love. I can't operate the way I should operate. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. God works through people like that. That's how God works. He establishes his majesty, his praise, his strength to still the avenger. Because of his foes, he works through the praise of babies, of of infants. John Calvin said this about this this text. And I got this out out of Bruce Waltke's commentary so you don't think I'm reading ancient Latin texts from 1600. Um, I I pulled this quote from Bruce Waltke, but Calvin says, The faithful prayer and praise of God's people, not necessarily their eloquence, commences the work of slaying the foe. This was his understanding of it. The faithful prayer and praise of God's people, not their eloquence, just faithfully praising God, ascribing strength to God, praising God, just faithfully doing that. We don't have to be smart. We don't have to know the right words. We don't have to have a theology degree. Just praising God, trusting Him. Calvin says that commences the work of slaying the foe. He says, What majesty accrues to God when he brings onto the field of battle the poor in spirit against the arrogant hordes of wickedness in order to slay their intolerable pride in the dust. So God works through little babies. He works through the weak. We don't have all the gifts we need. We don't have all the strength we need. But God works through us. He works through the praise and the trust in the ascribing of honor and strength to God, he works through babies, through little babies, through the weak. And so to me, that reminds me to go back to praise and prayer and worship and trust, that that is a transformative uh, exercise in our life. As we ascribe praise to God, not through our eloquence, not through how smart we are, but just trusting him like a little baby, Jesus says the kingdom is those, for those who come as a little child. As we ascribe that kind of trust to God, he's transforming us, and he's transforming those around us. Not just internal heart change, oh, me and God have a better relationship because I trust him more. That actually pushes out and pushes back the darkness. Again, verse 2, out of the mouth of babies and infants you've established strength because of your foes. There are foes. There is evil in the world. We must stand strong against it, but God works through weakness. You do this to still the enemy and the Avenger. The next thing I want us to think about is how God displays His majesty in His care for us. In His care for us. Look at verse 3, 4, and 5. God establishes 
His majesty. We see it in His care for us. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. So just a little textual explanation there. It, it says in verse 5, you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Uh, there's a there's kind of a catch-all term that has a broad meaning of like divinity or heavenliness. And so that word is translated as God. It's translated as uh, God, big G, right? It's translated as gods because it's a plural, uh, little g, the gods. And it's also translated as angels often. And so because it's kind of got those multiple things that it could mean, um, they're translating it in a, in a broad sense to try to communicate just how broad that term can be. So it says heavenly beings, which I think is a very reasonable translation. I just wanted to explain to you, you're going to see that come out differently in different translations, right? So it might say, you made man a little lower than the gods. You know, like we're not quite gods. We're not Hercules, but we're, we're pretty impressive. Or you made him a little lower than the angels, right? We're not angels, but we're pretty impressive. We're the crown of creation. We're the greatest of the earthly creatures, right? He made us a little lower than the heavenly beings. So I, I don't want that to be a distraction. That'll come out translated slightly differently in different places, but the general idea is we're the, we're the crown of the earthly creatures, right? We're the ones of all the earthly creatures that have the image of God, and so we're below the heavenly creatures, however you want to describe those. It's that Hebrew word Elohim, if you've heard that before. Elohim, which is a plural word that can mean, uh, like I said, divinity, godliness, heavenly beings. It can mean a lot of different things, and so it comes out different in different translations. But he says, when I look up at your heavens, at the work of your fingers, so I see what you've done, God. You've crafted this. We, we believe, as, as Bible believers, that God made stuff, right? Christians can sometimes disagree on uh, the how, right? Because we don't think God actually... Uh, used fingers like we have fingers and that this is a anthropomorphic term where it's kind of telling us how God works to help us understand he made it. Um, so we don't exactly know the, the processes by which he did it, but it's clarifying for us that he did it, right? He did it. He, he made the stuff. He, he created these stars. And when we look at the stars, we should say, God is great. Look at what God made. We should be impressed with him. And so we have a natural impulse as beings made in the image of God to ascribe majesty to him for what he's done, for the care he went through in, in crafting color and, and light and, and texture, um, the way things feel, taste, smell, all of that. God, God created the material universe. And so when we look up at the stars, we should just be like, God, you're, you're incredible. And we should give majesty back to him for his care in creating things. And then that should drive us to be even more overwhelmed that he cares about us. Because we recognize how small we are in the universe. And we, we recognize that more and more as we get bigger and bigger telescopes, right? The bigger the telescopes we get, the more small we realize that we are. What's amazing is some Christian scientists recognize that we are, uh, of all the planets and places in the universe, one of the most privileged viewing spots that exist. We can view the greatness and the beauty of the universe better here than any other location. It's like God set it up that way, right? It's almost like he created the world so we could see how big and glorious the universe is and we could observe it from here on earth. And as we see that, as we look up, we say, verse 4, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man 
but you care for him. Again, just a little textual note. There's there's two words for for man there: the Anash and Adam. Adam, uh, Adam. You recognize Adam, the name, right? And that that basically means man. Um, the other word, Anash, is uh, just kind of a simple word that usually just means mortal. It's usually kind of a more negative word, like a, a word signifying weakness. He uses both here just to say humanity and, and all the different words you might use. Humanity and our and our weakness and our mortality. You care for us. You're mindful. You, you pay attention. You made this and you made us. And again, we should be amazed at his care. I have a picture here of stars in case you've not seen those before. Uh, hopefully it's one of the things you enjoy about Central Texas. If you move from a bigger city, you can see more stars here, right? Uh, depending on what neighborhood you're in, how much light there is out, uh, you can see the stars and they're, they're beautiful. And when we look at them, we should ascribe majesty to God for caring for us enough to make the stars and caring for us enough to pay attention us. There's a great song by Switchfoot, one of the greatest rock bands of all time. I'm not biased, but they say, when I look at the stars, I see someone else. When I look at the stars, I feel like myself. And of course, they say it with a lot more music and creativity, but they're saying, I see someone else is at work in the universe. I'm not alone, and I feel like myself. I know my place in the universe. Another great uh, work of art is a movie called Joe versus the Volcano. And when Joe's about to die, he's out on a raft, and he looks up at the stars. He says, Dear God, whose name I do not know, thank you for my life. I forgot how big. Thank you. Thank you for my life. That, that should be our response when we look at the stars and then we think about our place as small little people, as humans. God cares. So I think... The major application for this is that we shouldn't get our self-esteem and our confidence from how skilled we are or how strong we are in comparison to other humans. But that's how we often do it. I, I think I think good old-fashioned competition's okay. I'm not one of those like hippies that think soccer games shouldn't have scores, right? I'm not going there. But we shouldn't we shouldn't get our self-esteem from that. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a difference. It's good to strengthen ourselves, to strive, to get better, to compete. It's good to, to be, just wake up to the reality of like, hmm, he's faster than me, he's stronger than me, that's okay, I'm going to keep working. Like, that's okay. It's okay for us to know those things because our self-esteem is not rooted in how fast, strong, or smart we are. If your self-esteem is rooted in how fast, strong, smart you are, then, then that's a hopeless enterprise, right? Then you've got to be the best or you're nothing. You have to either win the competition or forbid competition at all. As humans, we're free to engage in competition or not compete. Either one. We're free because our self-esteem rests in who God is. So we can take the risk of doing something where we're compared with other people and we might get graded worse than they do, and that's okay. That doesn't have to crush us because our self-esteem comes from the God who made the stars made us, and he's mindful of us. Do you see our... Our existence, our purpose, our how we think of ourselves comes from what God has done. And so then, whoever I am, A student or B student or F student, how fast I am, how strong I am, how smart I am, how successful I am, how much money's in the bank, those are things I receive from God. And obviously, you know, the New Testament has lots of words to say about responsibility and, and being a steward, working with what you have, right? So sometimes you don't have much because you're lazy, right? So I'm not talking about that. 
I just mean your gifts, your your strengths. Not getting getting bent out of shape about that, but trusting that the God who made the stars cares enough to make you. And he likes how he made you. And so it's a sin for you to look in the mirror and say, God, how dare you make me this way? That's not okay. You have to receive the gifts that he's given you and, and use them to the best of your ability. Do you try to improve? Yeah. Do you try to get better? Yes, try to get better. But, but don't receive your esteem or your worth or your value based on what you've accomplished, but based on what God has, has done. And then do the best you can with what he's given you. The last thing that we see here is majesty revealed in just earthly life. The, the psalmist here is reflecting. This whole song is a song about Genesis and creation, right? This is all a song about God's made the world and he's made humans to rule and reign over the world and reflect his glory. God is the king, and he's made us as little kings and queens to reflect him as the great king. And so we have this uh, command to have dominion, to rule, to reign, to be fruitful, to multiply, uh, to take care of the garden, all, all those ideas we see in Genesis 1, right? Uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 specifically is a good section to look at for this idea of human beings being made for dominion. So the psalmist is talking about this in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. He says, going back to 5, we already read, in verse 5, you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. So we're, we're crowned. He's given us honor. Again, he's crowned us as the chief of creation. We're the king of the animals, right? Not the lion, humans. The, the humans, we're the king. We're the queen. We're the top. And so when he's talking about we're a little lower than the heavenly beings, we're the top of the heap here on the earth and his earthly creation. He says, we're in charge. Again, going back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we're supposed to rule and reign and make this world a better place. The way the picture I like to give you is God put us in the garden and said, here's paradise, spread it across the world. And what did we do? We inverted that and we spreaded death. Spreaded. We spread death, right, instead of spreading paradise. So, so that's our job is to rule and reign and have dominion, reflect who God is. God is the gracious, creative making God that's mindful for us, mindful of us and mindful of the stars. We're to be like that, spreading his dominion in the world. He says in verse 6, You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. There's kind of a poetic wording of all of creation. The three spheres is how the ancient people would have thought about it, like the sphere of the sky. There's stuff that lives in the sky. There's stuff that lives on the ground. There's stuff that lives in the water, right? So we've just seen this poetic tripartite listing of this, this, and this, and humans are king over all of it. We're kings over the birds. We're kings over the crawling animals. We're kings over the swimming animals, right? We're to have dominion. And I think what this is pointing us to is the reality that his majesty is on display as we rule and reign in creation. Now, Hebrews tells us it's not complete yet, right? So that's the struggle we live in. You, you go to do your job. Friday, I had one of those days where I was trying to achieve a list of things and nothing went right. Have you ever had that or is that just me? Okay, good. Other people have had that experience, right? We all live in a fallen creation. Romans 8 says it's groaning and it's aching and creaking. So things don't work out exactly right, right? We're under the curse of death, the pain in childbearing and the pain in in working the ground we see back in Genesis 3. So 
That's the reality of the world. Is, is it, it is broken, but we are still to exercise dominion. We're supposed to fix things, create things. We're supposed to make beauty, culture, uh, make life beautiful, rule over the animals and the earth. That, that's our job as humans, to create culture. And so we're supposed to carry out um, that mandate of Genesis 1 and 2. And what we recognize as Christians is because of sin, because of our brokenness and our desire to be our own gods, we can't carry out the, the cultural commission to make the world a better place without the great commission of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Right? And so often what happens is uh, liberal Christians say it's all about the cultural commission. We need to just make art and beauty and feed people. And then uh, conservative Christians say it's all about the great commission. We just need to tell people about Jesus. I don't care if they're starving. Don't worry about that. Right? But really in the Bible we see both. They just have to be prioritized. We recognize that someone can't fully be human as they're designed to be. You can't make great art. You can't uh, feed your family. You can't do things right unless you're in submission to King Jesus. And so we recognize both of those things need to happen. We need to have dominion on the earth, rule and reign, make the world a better place, all those things. But we do that in response to who Jesus really is, recognizing that he died on the cross to pay for our sins and to give us a true righteousness. And we can only live unselfishly. We can only live in the image of God. We can only be gracious and reflect what God is like when we've accepted the grace that he's given to us through Jesus. And so we have to order the Great Commission over the Cultural Commission and and stack those up so they work together. And so I have some pictures here of ways that you can display God's majesty in your life. Here's one, planting a garden. Here's some people planting a garden. Again, going back to Genesis. God says, as we have dominion, his majesty is reflected in our life. Here's another one, feeding goats. Right? You can feed goats. Pastor Stephen loves this sort of thing. He grew up on a farm. He's still trying to figure out how he can get goats in the city limits. Washing dishes. Mundane. For those of you that are city people, you're like, I can't garden, I can't feed goats. Well, just the daily things of life, right? Like just cleaning stuff, taking care of your home. Think of other things. What are the things that we think are unspiritual? What are the things that you think are unspiritual? And God doesn't care about because he's too spiritual to care about things like like changing diapers. Young moms, young dads. You're, you're showing the majesty of God. You're reflecting his glory and honor as you have dominion over that diaper, right? That It's it's real. And we, we make this separation and think, oh, God doesn't care about that. No, he, he created humans to spread paradise in the world. He wants us to cook and clean and build and... Uh, execute justice be good neighbors he wants us to mow our lawn he wants us to um, he wants us to water our lawn so that's just my personal appeal to those of you that are in a rent house please water your lawn too he, he wants us to he wants us to have dominion he wants us to do these earthy things these earthly things we have dominion over the earth we are to make it a better place that's not just an unspiritual thing but the thing is we can only do it when we're living in submission And that's really where I want to just wrap up. When we look at Hebrews 2, Hebrews 2 makes it very clear um, that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this. That humans alone can't fulfill this, that Jesus was the perfect human. Hebrews 2 says he, he was this human. He was the one that was made a little lower than the heavenly beings, that submitted himself for a little while, that is going to have ultimate dominion over all things. All things will be made right. And so we find our fulfillment, the glory we are to have,
crowned with honor, we can only have that glory through Jesus who achieved it for us. The, the way the text describes it is he was this forerunner. He was this trailblazer that went before us. And so as we look to him as the founder of our faith, as we follow Jesus, then we can have dominion in this world. Then we can live fully as we were made to live. Then our lives have meaning. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that Jesus fulfilled the role that we were supposed to fulfill and that by faith he gives that to us so that we can live out of that. And I pray that you would help us to work out that salvation with fear and trembling, that we would have a sense of awe about your majesty and that at the same time you are mindful of us and you created us to reflect your grace and your glory in the world. And so we pray that you would equip us to do that. God, give us just first steps this week to live in alignment with you and your grace. We pray in Jesus' name.